Have you ever carried a 50-pound bag of flour? There's a special trick to it. You have to pick it up from underneath and flip it up over your shoulder. Otherwise, it's too unwieldy to handle. I've watched many new bakers try to carry a bag in front of them, like a child holding a teddy bear, and every time they lose control and the bag slips through their arms. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman mixed into three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Three measures of flour is just a bit more flour than one of those 50-pound bags, which means this woman was leavening a whole lot of dough. Today, we're going to reflect on what it means for the kingdom of heaven to be like yeast. Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from Edible Theology, where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you are hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you have come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes that you are about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through so that you can bake a massive batch of dough with ease. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well, asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from Matthew 13. Slow your breathing, and now as you breathe, repeat with me. Inhale, God's kingdom is like yeast, and as you exhale, working its way through dough. One evening, I was at home baking a loaf of bread. Surprising, I know. I'd shaped the loaf and had it resting on the counter while my oven heated. I went back to the living room to read for a bit as I waited, and then I returned when it was time to put the bread in the oven. But it was gone. Did I already put it in the oven and just forget? I thought. I checked, but no, the oven was empty too. That's when I noticed the little bits of dough stuck to the front of the cabinets, and the spot on the floor where the blob had clearly landed. Then, peeking behind the doorframe, a nose. My dog, Strudel, had knocked the dough off the counter and eaten the entire thing. Over the next hour, his belly swelled. It was the perfect temperature for fermentation, so that dough was happily growing more and more. I'll spare you the details of what happened next, but you should know he is perfectly fine. Unfortunately, that batch of dough is not the worst thing Strudel has eaten in his lifetime. But the image of his belly swelling still makes me laugh. Fermentation is a pretty fascinating thing. If you'll remember back to your high school biology days, fermentation takes place when microbes eat up the starches in a food or a liquid and release ethanol and CO2 as a byproduct. 
when making bread, that CO2 is captured by a network of proteins called gluten, which enable the dough to grow. My friend, Dr. Amina Alatas Bradford, is a theologian whose work centers on microbial life and theological anthropology. Essentially, she's asking how research on the microbiome ought to impact our understanding of what it means to be human. She recently shared with me that before Louis Pasteur transformed our understanding of microbes and fermentation, leaven was understood as more of a process than an object in and of itself. Something received change, then went on to change the things around it. This is the context in which our biblical references to leaven are situated. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is like leaven, he's not talking about those jars of yeast lining the grocery store shelves. He's talking about a process that takes place through relationships. We are changed, and our change impacts the people and places right around us. It's small, simple, and slow like leaven working its way through the massive batch of dough. There's no doubt the woman in the parable was strong. She had to be to mix together that much water and flour. But no matter how strong a person is, there's no way to knead that big of a batch of dough by hand. And, of course, she didn't have a giant stand mixer to do the work for her. Most likely, she was working with a dough that was pretty wet, knowing that a long, slow fermentation would build the strength her bread required, instead of relying on a hearty knead. She mixed together the flour and water with a small bit of dough from a previous batch, or perhaps the dregs of a recent brew of beer, adding in some wheat that had already been changed so that it would go on and change the whole batch of dough. Then she had to trust this transformation would take place over a long period of time, knowing it was not something she could rush or complete on her own. Growing up, I was convinced that to be a good Christian meant working hard to change the world. I was fascinated by missionaries in politically unstable countries and by NGOs doing creative work to address poverty worldwide. I wanted to spread the love of God in radical ways, doing all I could to heal the many ailments of the world. But the more I studied history and anthropology and social theory, the more I realized how all of our broken systems are intertwined with one another. I became overwhelmed with just how complicated the world really is, and confused about what it actually meant to pursue justice and healing. I wasn't sure how to hold this desire to do good in the world together with my love of baking, Making bread and cookies for people felt so small, so mundane in light of the needs of the world. But as I've committed myself to this work, I've come to love this parable of leaven more and more. I'm increasingly convinced that living a small but faithful life, caring for the people immediately around us, is what so many of us and this world really need. Outside of this one parable, scripture uses leaven not to represent the kingdom of God, but to represent sin. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Jesus says, warning of the temptation to value law, order, and belief above care for the needs right in front of you. Beware the leaven of Herod, he adds, warning of the danger of the thirst for power. Just as God's love can spread and transform in small, slow ways, 
so can sin decay everything it touches. We see this in blatant displays of evil that exist around the world, but we see this in smaller ways too. Every time we wound someone else in a way that we ourselves have been wounded. If both the kingdom of God and the power of sin are like leaven, eating their way through communities like yeast through dough, then how do we create the right environment to grow one while halting the other? In the early 20th century, as scientists began to understand bacteria and yeast, people grew wary of the unpredictability of microbial life. The field of home economics emerged, with a focus, among other things, on sanitation, which was considered central to keeping a modern home. Industrialized bakeries attempted to create a safe and sanitary loaf of bread by building machinery that didn't require human hands to touch the dough at any point in the process. Churches fought over how liturgical practices ought to change in response too. Some argued that the common chalice needed to be replaced with individual communion cups. Others disagreed, arguing that a move away from a common cup would have major theological implications. It turned communion into an affair only between the individuals and God, some worried, rather than forming a single church body through the body and blood of Christ. The move to individual cups stuck in many churches, and theological conversations did in fact shift too. American Christianity of the 20th century largely focused on the individuality of faith over and above the communal nature of Christian life. In the centuries since these early microbial findings, scientists have continued to learn about the role of bacteria and yeast in our everyday lives, especially the microbiome of our own bodies. Their research reveals a close connection between the microbiome of our bodies and our ability to digest food and fight disease. The effort to stave off bad bacteria and yeast unwittingly killed off so much of the healthy bacteria humans need to survive, and new diseases, allergies, and mental health concerns arose as a result. It turns out without bacteria and yeast in, on, and around our bodies, we can't live. There is no such thing as a healthy, sanitary life. Over in the Baker's Table community, we are watching the life cycle of our sourdough starters after every feeding. We're observing the scent of the culture as it rises and falls thanks to the community of bacteria and yeast that populate it. I get asked all the time if the ripe scent of the starter means it has gone bad. New bakers are often pretty worried that their starter has been taken over by pathogenic strains. After all, the good and the bad thrive in the same conditions. But it turns out that any healthy microbiome, whether human or dough, contains some pathogens as well. It's impossible to avoid the bad microbes, but when the good ones are regularly nourished and encouraged to thrive, they keep the bad in line. We can learn a lot about community from these sourdough starters, especially as we acknowledge all that is lost in an individualistic approach to life or faith. It's tempting to want to protect ourselves at all costs, whether from the bacteria shared by our neighbor when we sip from the same cup, or from the wounds of family or friends or a church that fails us. 
It's tempting to isolate ourselves physically and emotionally to protect ourselves from the reality that sin and brokenness work like leaven, hurting everything they touch. This is only natural. Like the scientists and home economists of the early 20th century, we want to do all we can to keep ourselves safe in an aching world. But without the vulnerability of relationships, without the closeness of family and friends, without hugs and handshakes and physical reminders that we do not exist on our own, we cannot survive. Now, of course, this requires discernment. I'm not advocating you go and put yourself or others in harm's way. Instead, I'm encouraging you to remember that it's impossible to avoid some of the hurt that church or family or friends will inevitably bring. We are all, after all, merely human. But the goodness of opening yourself up to love and being loved, the goodness of being held by the prayers of those around you, the goodness of being reminded that you are not alone, it will strengthen you to withstand the pain that life is sure to bring. Beware the temptation to value safety or sanitation or purity of belief over the people immediately around you. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is also like leaven, slowly working its way through. It's these mundane relationships with parents and partners and neighbors and friends in all their pain and glory that spreads God's love through the world. Which means simply working your starter into a batch of dough, then baking and breaking that loaf with friends, is just the sort of faithfulness through which God can change the world while also healing you. God's kingdom is like yeast, working its way through dough. We'll get to our kitchen tip in just a moment, but I want to take a quick break to tell you more about Edible Theology. Edible Theology is an educational media project helping you connect the communion table to the kitchen table. We offer resources for churches, families, and individuals to help build community and find healing in relationship to food. This Lent, we are reading through my new book, By Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflections on Hunger, Longing, and the Goodness of God. I like to say that it's a theology of bread as told through my story. If you'd like to read along, you can download our free Lent reading guide at our website, www.edibletheology.com. It includes chapter recommendations for each week of Lent, along with discussion questions and prayers and a free workshop recording for each recipe in the book. Again, you can download the guide at www.edibletheology.com. Our kitchen tip today is for those of you who'd like to witness the magic of fermentation in your own home. Making a sourdough starter is as simple as mixing up a bit of flour and water, then letting it sit, feeding it a little bit more flour and water every day. In just a couple of days, the culture will start to form bubbles and then grow. It's amazing to watch the change take place. Now, it takes a lot of maintenance in order to keep the starter thriving and to build up enough strength to leaven a loaf of dough, but if you're up for the challenge, then you'll find a link for my favorite sourdough recipes in the show notes below. If you are not yet ready to take on something quite so high maintenance, another option is to ferment vegetables. My personal favorite is to ferment cabbage into homemade sauerkraut. Shred a half a head of cabbage into small strips, then layer it in a mason jar with salt and some caraway seeds for a bit of flavor or mustard seeds for an additional reflection on the kingdom of God. 
Cover it tightly, then let it sit for three to four days and watch the bubbles form. You'll find a recipe with more precise ratios in the show notes. Each time you walk past your fermenting project, whether wheat or cabbage, consider how simple and unassuming the transformation is. As you rest, your microbes are at work, transforming at a level you cannot see. But the results are undeniable. And oh, so good. And now, to close, a prayer for microbes. Creator God, we live in awe of your interdependent world. We stand amazed by the life so small we cannot fathom its existence until it's no longer there. May the microbes that thrive in our bodies, on our skin, that populate our dough and enliven our soil, guide us evermore into love of you. May we be like flour, mixed together with leaven, changed and content to live simply, faithfully, day by day. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by the Edible Theology Project, where the communion table meets the dinner table. Learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at edibletheologyproject. Our intro music is by Josh Garrels. A huge thank you to my team, Hannah Hargrave, Sherea Calabras, Emily Thompson, Lisa Hammersham, and to our producer, Jason Rugg, who made this podcast possible. We would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Spotify, then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too.